All right, so Dr. Plaster is 66 years old. He is married to his wife, Rebecca, for 44 years. They have three kids, Graham, four grandkids, or eight, eight grandkids. Um, oh, okay, I got you. Three kids, Graham, uh, Logan, who is at, married to Laura, and they're members here at the Garden Church, and Whitney. He's been following Jesus for 40 years. Wow. 40 years, uh, graduate of the University of Mis Missouri, Columbia School of Medicine, uh, Widener University School of Law, practiced a specialty of emergency medicine for 36 years, retired in 2017, founded ML Plaster Publishing Company, uh, which is the publisher of Emergency Physicians Monthly Telemedicine Magazine, U.S. Navy Marine Corps, 15 years with two combat deployments to Iraq, formerly Chief Medical Officer of Turning Point Clinic, which is the largest methadone clinic in, in the U.S., seeing 3,000 patients daily. Currently, Raymar Clinic, Rapid Access Medically Assisted Recovery, and as well as Maryland State Medical Society Task Force for Opioid, um, and U.S. Congregational Candidate, Congressional Candidate in 2016, and he says that he has always had a heart for the wounded. In other words, uh, the, the good doctor knows what he's talking about and knows what he's doing. So with that, let's welcome Dr. Mark Plaster. Thank you. Uh, uh, can you hear me now? But isn't that a commercial? Not anymore, I guess. Um, first off, thank you so much. Uh, where's Joel? Where's Joel? Is he behind the screen? Okay, he's in there somewhere. Thank you so much, and, and Steph, thank you so much for the introduction that, that uh, uh, to introduce the topic. Uh, I, I, let me give you a little bit of a background of how I got here, okay? I've been in emergency medicine for 35 years, and thank you. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, uh, the patients that come in who are always seeking um, um, narcotics uh, were the thorn in the flesh for every emergency physician. We had a, a terrible nickname for them called Gomers, get out of my ER. Okay, and it's the truth, okay? Because there was anything that we felt like we could do besides uh, acquiesce to their desire for narcotics, and we weren't gonna do that. And so it was always a scene, it was always a problem, and it was always some kind of a game going on between uh, the physician and the patient, okay? When I finally retired from that, um, and when I retired from emergency medicine, I ran for Congress, and one of my major uh, uh, if you so, supporters was the, the, the man who started, uh, Reverend Williams, who started Turning Point Clinic, and I don't know what you think about Turning Point Clinic, but they've done, they've done a work down there. They, they see 3,000 methadone addicts every single day, every single day. Okay, and that came out of a congressional, a, a congressional, a congregational effort just like this, okay, where he rolled up his sleeves and said, we're going to help them instead of just criticize them, okay? And so this, and I will tell you that I give a lot of community presentations all over to every kind of group you can imagine, and you know who are the largest attendees are? Look around right here, churches, followers of Christ, who want to reach out and help somebody. So look around and you will see that this is the army that is actually tackling this scourge. A lot of folks are talking about it, 
A lot of government people are throwing money at it, but it's you folks who are rolling up your sleeves and doing something. And my, I, I, I am incredibly, incredibly uh, grateful to, to call you my brothers and sisters in this, in this, in this matter. So thank you for allowing me to share. Uh, I'm going to give you, if, if there's anything at all, it's going to be practical, okay? Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the, the, the addiction model, and I, I'm, I may vary a little bit from uh, where, where Joel's coming from as far as disease, um, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll give that some nuance, okay? Uh, not disagreement, but nuance. And, uh, I, and I apologize. I dropped my computer uh, on the way over here, and the slideshow that I'm supposed to give somehow uh, got damaged, and I'm going to be using some other slides from another community program, and we'll just kind of flip through them, and if they, if they don't look like they uh, um, apply, then just ignore them. And, <laughs> And, and we'll, we'll move on. And the most important part here is for me to get through this quickly so that I can open up to your questions, okay? First off, uh, are we gonna, is this gonna go? Oh, come on, it just, it just switched. Look at that. I tried it. There we go, there we go. Well, you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that this is the crisis of our generation. This is just deaths, uh, and national overdose, this is from NIH, and it goes, only goes to 2015. You know why? Because 2016, 17, and 18 would be off the slide. Would be off the slide. I use this, I use this because I'm, I'm a Vietnam-era guy, okay? I didn't go to Vietnam because I wasn't quite old enough, okay? But, but in Vietnam, we lost 10,000, I'm sorry, we lost 54,000 American soldiers over a, a course of about 10 years. And we tore this country apart because of the, 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 the rancor that that developed, okay? In 9-11, 3,000 people died when the towers fell, the Pentagon uh, burned, and others, and we fought a war. We fought a war because of that, okay? Next year, we will lose 60,000 people. 60,000. Where's the riots? Where's the demonstrations? Let it sink in. And you know what? As the, direct, as the chief medical officer at Turning Point Clinic, I used to see every intake that came through, the intakes. And part of the intakes was to ask them, how much are you spending on a daily basis on your habit? It was not uncommon to see $200 to $400 a day. Okay, do the math if, you're, if your computer will go that far out. Okay. If your computer goes that far out, you will see that right here in Baltimore, we are spending, our population is spending billions of dollars, billions in the B's of dollars supporting those habits. And when I wrote, I wrote an, a, a, an editorial for the Baltimore Sun, and I asked this question because everybody asked me the same question. <laughs> Where's that money coming from? Where's that money coming from? It's coming first 
from, our, from, the, from the addict's own resources, and when those are depleted, from family resources, when those are depleted, it, it turns to the street, and eventually it almost always ends up in dealing. Okay? I'm just telling you that deaths, as bad as they are, is just the tip of the iceberg. Just the tip of the iceberg. So we need to tackle this. This needs to be a crowd of 50,000 people, not 50. We need, we need to get serious about tackling this problem. In order to tackle it, we've got to understand it. And I'm, I'm going to just try to tell you a little bit about it. This is heroin. Oh, it looks like a flower, right? Okay, it's poppy. Those poppies grow all over Afghanistan. You realize that? The number one product of Afghanistan is heroin. That's how the Taliban supports themselves. That's how most of the South American uh, 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 Sandinistas and everybody else support them. I'm not being political. I'm just telling you that's how people, that's how governments support themselves. It looks like this when you take the, the uh, um, you, you reduce it down to a powder, you, you, you can snort it, shoot it, uh, whatever you want to. This is the common, it, we really don't use, uh, see a lot of people shooting it much anymore. Most people are snorting it. Uh, this is real, you know, this is kind of a picture everybody thinks about, right? How do you use it? Most people now, now snort it. And, and we show this guy, he's kind of a, you know, uh, he's got a shirt off and he's nasty and all this kind of stuff. No, the people that I have that coming into my clinic are people like you and like you and like you. They're average folks, average folks. Now, one thing we like to say that, oh, they got into it because they were, you know, they went straight to selling drugs on the street. No, you want to know the number one, uh, we'll get into it. I'll get into it later. Okay, anybody know what an MRI is? Magnetic resonance image, okay? An MRI, it's, a, uh, it, it's not a CT scan, it's not, it's looking at the way your uh, a tissue functions, okay? This is called a functional MRI. Okay, and the reason why I show this is you need to understand one of, the, one of the cardinal features of addiction is that there is loss of physical gray uh, or white matter in the brain. Okay, over a period of time, uh, excessive use of narcotics and the, and the connections will be lost. And this is what you're, this is what you're seeing, I have a, a little laser here. This is what you're seeing, the heroin user. That's not the brain diminishing, it's the brain not being used, okay? Physically not being used. Architecturally not being used, okay? So when Joel's talking about people just saying, just say no, well, it'd be great if you had the capacity to just say no, and then, unfortunately, over time, a, 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 per, a person with, with uh, addiction loses that capacity. Okay, so let's have a little sympathy here, okay? This is the one that uh, has everybody concerned, okay? And you know why? It's because folks like me got the addicts involved, okay? We didn't mean to. We were sold a bill of goods 20 years ago. Oxycontin was supposed to be a great drug. We were repped a great drug. This would, would, would take care of people's pain, and uh, it, wasn't, it was only moderately addictive. I remember the, people, uh, the, the drug reps telling me this. 
only moderately addictive. Well, this is addictive after about five or 10 doses, okay? You start to feel it. It's not like you're in a full-blown addict, but you start to feel withdrawal after about 12, 15 doses of Oxycontin, okay? And lazy doctors, I've heard the, the, the head of the Medical Society of Maryland tell me this, orthopedic surgeons wrote massive uh, prescriptions for this stuff where their total hips and knees and necks and backs and everything else that they had coming through their office, they wrote massive prescriptions. Why? Don't call me when I'm playing golf with your pain problem, okay? Don't call me on weekends, okay? I have a personal example of this. My daughter had some GYN surgery after our, uh, our seven, seventh grandchild, seventh grandchild, and um, a good surgeon, a great surgeon, in fact, took care of her, fixed everything up. Then uh, I was with her when she had her final uh, um, appointment, and uh, he actually handed me the prescription to go fill for her, her pain, post-operative pain. I didn't even look at it took it over to the pharmacy, and just as I'm handing it over to the pharmacist, I finally made a little last visual check, and I noticed that it was for Dilaudid, pretty heavy uh, uh, narcotic, a Dilaudid. 90, he wrote for 90. She might need five. 90, okay? So I'm telling you a confession here. Physicians have been complicit in this through negligence or maybe even wanting to help you. I have a lot of pain, doctor. My neck is still bothering me. My back is still bothering me. Well, sure, I'll give you a little oxys. That'll, be, that'll work for you. And it does work for you. There's just a downside. Okay? That's how a lot of people ended up getting it. And the other part of it is, what happens to those other 85 Dilaudids that you happen to have in your, in your, uh, uh, your medicine chest? Guess who uses them? Your kids, your grandkids, your cousins, the kids in the neighborhood when they have their, their, uh, their parties where they throw all the pills in the punch bowl and you get, to, you get to grab one. You know that? You know that's going on? Everybody know about that? Pill parties, ever heard of that? It happens. I get some yeses, people know what's going on out there. That's where, it's, it's all this medication is floating around. How many of you were prescribed medications that you didn't use, but you squirreled away in your medicine chest? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I might need it later because I've got a headache, or I might have a backache, or I might have, you know, this, that, and the other. That's how that stuff gets into the, into the circulation. And that's how a lot of folks have backed their way into addiction. Now, sometimes it's just plain old, I used, I used alcohol first, I used marijuana second, I used pills third, and now I'm, now I'm going for heroin. Sometimes that happens, but it's not always, not always. So, you know, there's a lot of different pathways. We always like to look at this guy, you know, this is the short, short-term effects, you know, he's buzzed out, okay? And, uh, and these are some of the things that I used to see in the ER with uh, people who are skin poppers, and uh, we don't really see a lot of that anymore. But this is what we do, okay? Heroin, uh, you know, we'll talk about the various forms of opiates, okay? First off, just to clarify, just for your own education, opiate is the class. It's a, uh, the, the end product is, is morphine. It all metabolizes to morphine, okay? So it could be oxycodone, hydrocodone, Percocets, um, all of it metabolizes to the same thing.
Okay, so opiate is the class. Sometimes people think of heroin. Oh, I'm not addicted to, to uh, uh, they'll, they'll say, uh, I'm not addicted to heroin, uh, I take oxys. Well, okay, big deal, same thing. Okay, it, it, but they all metabolize to the same thing. Okay, so, uh, and, and what do they actually do in the, in the overdose setting is they slow your breathing down. Okay, and eventually, if, with, uh, with fentanyl and carfentanil, the, the elephant tranquilizer we see on the streets now, uh, it will stop your breathing, and that's how people die. They die uh, because they stop breathing. And now, just, just for your own education, now because the drugs on the street are so, are so dangerous, oftentimes people will take drugs publicly so that if they collapse, somebody will see them. They sit outside, outside of 7-Eleven uh, or, or in the park. They're not out there just being stupid. They're actually out there trying to be safe so that if they collapse, somebody will see them and resuscitate them. Okay, because that's the strength of the drugs we have now. Okay, just a real quick heroin withdrawal, three different stages, you know. It, and, and anybody who's been addicted, who's been through any of these, these, these uh, stages, will tell you that it's not so bad when you have a little bit of drug cravings and you're a little bit moody, stage one, okay? But stage two, you want to avoid. Severe stomach cramps, uh, you, you're run, your eyes are runny, you, you, you're sweating, okay? You're yawning, you're starting to get restless, your muscles are starting to, you can't sleep because you know stage three is coming. Diarrhea, fever, chills, muscle spasms, nausea, vomiting, you name it. it it's a, you can survive it. You can survive it. You know, it's not a fatal withdrawal. You just wish you were dead. Okay? The people who have gone through withdrawal, and I'm not going to ask for a raise, you know, show of hands, but there's probably a, one or two in this audience that have been through withdrawal who will tell you it's miserable. You'll do pretty much anything to avoid it. Okay. This is where, and I apologize because I think there's some terms, uh, some things I, uh, in my, my, my new slide deck that I, I would get to here. Um, I, I do call this a disease, Joel, and I'll tell you the reason why, okay? There are different things we don't, we, in the common medical disease model, we think of things like, you know, uh, viral diseases, cancer, things like that, okay? <laughs> but as a physician, I see type 2 diabetes as a result of obesity, okay? I see chronic lung disease and heart disease as a result of smoking and sedentary lifestyles. If we did not have conditions, we always, in medicine, we call them conditions rather than diseases, but they are a sort of diseases, okay? If we didn't have lifestyle-related conditions, we'd be, out of, we'd be out of work because a good portion of the illness in our community is the result of what we have done through our own decadence. Okay? So is it a disease? Did I catch COPD? Well, I caught it a little bit every single time I took, uh, smoked a pack of cigarettes. Okay? Did I catch type 2 diabetes? Well, maybe because if I had, you know, been a little bit more judicious and been healthier and so, so there is genetic components to it. Okay? Even, even alcoholism, there's genetic components to it, so it's a mixture. I don't want to, and so when I talk to audiences and I talk to them about the disease model, I don't give them an out and say, you don't, 
uh, you're not responsible because it's a disease, you still have, you still have to be uh, part of your healing, even if you may or may not have elements of part of getting the disease in the, in the first place. So my, my type two diabetics that are insulin dependent, okay, I don't chastise them because you have to take insulin, okay? You shouldn't be here. You should have, you should have, you should have avoided this. That's kind of pointless, right? Okay, I treat them and I try to help them to lose their weight and, 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 and correct their lifestyle. So it is a chronic disease. It's compulsive, compulsive. And I want you to understand compulsivity is a physical compulsivity, okay? We talk about, in, in, the, in our faith walk, we talk, there's a term that I like to use. What is the central organizing fact or trait or behavior? What is the central organizing trait of your life? What is the central organizing? Well, making money, being popular, having a home, um, being happy in your marriage. What is it that you'll organize your life around so that you get? And I, I will tell you that each and every one of you have at least one, if not four or five, but it'll boil down to one that you'll trade off for the other, okay? When you can't make your house payment, you'll stop making your, your church uh, tithe, okay? When, uh, when your wife uh, when your wife's uh, annoyed at you, you'll, uh, you'll do something that you, you wouldn't, maybe you, you want to do something on Saturday, but no, better do what the wife says because I want to keep the wife happy. Happy wife, happy life, right? Right? Okay, there's a central organizing trait or truth of your life. Okay, should be Christ, right? If all else fails, I have the Lord. I have the Lord. Some people say, you know, when your health is shot, when your when you're on the when your marriage is shot, when you're when you're when you're unemployed, you have one thing that can make your life fulfilled, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? For the addict, that's getting the next fix. That's how compulsive. Anybody who's an addict in this in this room knows that's true. Okay, if it's a choice between a happy wife and a next fix, it's the next fix. If it's a choice between getting, keeping my job and the next fix, it's the next fix. If, 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 it's a joy, if it's a choice between doing something depraved in a back alley to get your next fix, you will do something depraved. It is that strong. Okay. We need to understand that each of us have a central organizing factor, and in some cases, it's preventing going into that, that, that um, withdrawal. And initially, initially, it makes you feel good, okay? And we run into this when we're treating uh, teenagers, and uh, we, we, you know, and I live in Annapolis. They're selling heroin at Annapolis High, okay? And you can start to see, uh, and I'm sure they are here in Baltimore too. Don't, you know, everybody knows they're, they're selling drugs in high schools, okay? 
And the kids that are particularly vulnerable to this, we'll talk about prevention in a second, but the kids who are particularly vulnerable to, to a narcotic addiction are the kids who feel bad about themselves for some reason. They're in between mom and dad at different homes. They're not doing well in school. They're not particularly beautiful or not great in, in school. They're not great in, in athletics. You know, I, I was riding the bench in high school and I, in, in basketball, and a guy offered me some drugs in order to, to play better. You want to, want to know what I did? Took them. I took them. Thank God it, was only, it wasn't something like this, or I'd have been an addict today. But I'm just telling you that you, you find kids that are vulnerable. And, and what we talk about, you see, you see narcotics and you see the nods and you see someone sort of feeling high. The term that we see or we hear from young people who try narcotics for the first time, it's the, it is, it, it's the best I ever felt about myself. It's the best I ever felt about myself. And, and physiologically, I, unfortunately, I'm sorry this slide deck doesn't, I'm, I now realize this, the screens that are missing. A um, little physiology, more than you probably want to hear. The midbrain, they talk about the midbrain. The midbrain is an area called the locus ceruleus. The locus ceruleus stimula stimulates the forebrain, and the forebrain, uh, the, the final mediator, is dopamine. Anybody ever heard of dopamine? Okay, you heard of dopamine? Okay. Dopamine is. A dopamine surge is that feeling of well-being that you can have when you score a touchdown, everybody's screaming at you when you dunk the ball, an orgasm. There's all kinds of different things that result. The final mediator is a dopamine surge. This has a very powerful dopamine surge. Okay? And interestingly enough, if you get enough artificial dopamine surges, your natural dopamine surges go away. That's physiologic. Okay? That's where that compulsivity, that's where that compulsivity comes because you're not going to be happy anymore once you get addicted unless you get that drug. Okay, so that's, let's have a little, a little bit of mercy for the, it's brain damaging and as, as Steph told you, it is relapsing, okay? Even when people struggle to their feet and start walking the straight and narrow, they get into situations and they will relapse. And part of, and, and we'll talk about this, part of our job as a community is to help them come back. Come back, come back, come back. We extend grace to each other, right? Okay? And, and we need to extend grace to the person uh, who is falling because of addiction. Okay, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what I do. Okay, and the reason why this is important is, is that you understand the addiction uh, community. How are we doing on time? The addiction community has uh, basically three models or, or three ideas. One is abstinence, okay, uh, which through the... Uh, uh, the church, rehab, do whatever, uh, you, you basically come to an abstinence model, and sometimes it's medically assisted abstinence. In about 30 days, you go to rehab, okay? When you go to rehab, maybe we'll give you some Suboxone until uh, we get you past that, and then we basically, after 30 days, either send you home 
back into your neighborhood or we send you to some sort of a halfway house or a, a sober home or a, the, is everyone familiar with these terms? Okay, I, I, I don't want to tell you things you, you don't already, you, you, uh, already know. So there's this basic model that moves toward abstinence very rapidly. There's frank cold turkey abstinence, okay? And then there is what I'm involved in, which is what we, uh, uh, RAMAR stands for Rapid Access Medically Assisted Recovery, okay? And this has to do with, uh, um, just use a drug, uh, we, we use a drug called buprenorphine, the trade name is Suboxone, okay? Got a bad name uh, among some folks because they say, well, you're just substituting one drug for another, okay? And that's right, we are. One of them's legal, one of them's not. One of them is controlled by a doctor, one of them's not, okay? It's not the answer, but it creates a space. It creates a space for you and the community to come and wrap your arms around this person. It gets them, it stops them from, from going to other places and it creates some space. And that's all it does, that's all it does. Let me tell you the hard truth and then we go through the method of, uh, this is uh, behavioral therapies, okay? I, I'm sorry, these, these slides are not all that helpful. Um, so, you have, you have rehab, one, a month-long rehab. Anybody know what that costs currently? $30,000 a month. A month, okay? I was talking to a guy when I was running for uh, office not long ago. I was knocking on doors and I talked to a guy. And he said, what, I asked him what his number one issue was. He said drug addiction. I said, great. Oh, I know a lot about that, actually. And um, I said, what's your connection to it? He said, my son. He's been in rehab 17 times. Do the math. Do the math. He'd emptied his 401K. He had mortgaged his home. And now he was, he was uh, dependent on the state. Okay, we conservatively think that we have two and a half million addicts in the country. Do the math for that one. Okay, we can't afford, I, what I'm saying is, we can't afford month-long uh, treatments for everybody. We, we, we can't, not even insurance companies can afford that. It's in the trillions, by the way. So there, there has to be some other alternatives, and that's the reason why you're here, okay? Suboxone is, is a cost-effective treatment. It's not, not the only one, but it's a cost-effective treatment. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is what are the numbers? This is one that will be discouraging, okay? Over a lifetime, someone who is fully addicted, who becomes fully, completely, permanently clean, that number is a little less than 10%. 10%, okay? Now, um, rehab centers will tell you, uh, I just recently talked to a guy who had a rehab center. I said, what's your, what's your success rate? He said, uh, 40 to 70%. So well, that's pretty amazing. How do you get those numbers? We call them. Well, how many people do you get? About 50%. What happens to the other 50%? We're presuming they're relapsing. So the 40 to 70 is actually 20 to 35. I said, when are you calling them? 30 days. Do you call them at 60 days? No, you know what your numbers are at 60 days? About half that. Do you call them at 120 days? What were their numbers then? About half of that. Okay, 
That's my point here, okay? You understand relapsing. We're talking about folks with a 10% survival rate. Survival, 10, 10%, not, not, not dead, but we just you need to get your head around the idea that once addicted, this is a lifelong relapsing chronic disorder, okay? You wanna build a church? Build a church of, uh, of, uh, of addicted patients because they'll always be there, <laughs> okay? They'll always need, always need you. We have to change our attitudes, our behaviors. Sometimes they have to build life skills. And, and at this point, I think I'm gonna kind of uh, open this up a little bit. Uh, there's a, lot, a variety of ways we do that, uh, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, uh, we use uh, a, a very simple uh, thing that the, the VA developed called the BAM, the Basic Addiction Monitoring Score. It's 17 areas, people, place, and things. If you're doing something you don't wanna be doing, it's usually because you're going to the wrong places you're talking to the wrong people, you're doing the wrong things, right? Okay, if you have a weight problem, don't go to the ice cream store, okay? If you have a drinking problem, don't go meet your buddies at the bar, okay? If you're watching too much porn, don't go to the, I, I say too much porn. If you're watching porn, <laughs> caught me there. If you're watching porn, if you're watching porn, don't, you know, don't indulge in that. Stay off, the, stay off the internet, do whatever you have to do. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's people, place, and things. BAM score has 17 different areas that we watch, and this is where you all start to come in, in, involved. And that is it, that uh, Stephanie was talking about things that you can do to help people uh, stay uh, on, on straight and narrow. And one of the ways you do that is by looking at the areas that are giving them the most problems and then helping them to be accountable for it, staying with them, talking to them. Sometimes people use because they don't have work. Help them find work, okay? Some people use because they're miserable, they don't have a place to go. There's no place to live. Help them find a place to live. Practical things, okay? Sometimes they're with the wrong people. Give them another group of people who will support them and love them and be, and be non-judgmental with them, like you, like a church. And wrap your arms around them. Those are the, that's the things, and, and, and those are the things that we monitor, and those are the people who are successful, are the people who are looking at the people, place, and things uh, that are helping them. And then, and then eventually, they are able to wean themselves off very slowly off of uh, the medically assisted treatment. I'm not gonna go any further with this. I'm gonna open this up for, thanks. Right, abstinence uh, is, uh, is rehab and then based on abstinence. Rehab is inpatient rehab. And, and, I, and, I, and my feeling, because I'm, I'm in this field, okay, my feeling is that the rehab doesn't, it's not cost effective. We can't afford it and it, generally after 30 days, people relapse. And, and, and so you're, you're just bouncing in and out and in and out. And one of the things, uh, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit is uh, my other slide deck talks about uh, the hurdles. We talk about the ways you get in and the hurdles to recovery. And one of the most important screens for that is uh, fear of failure, okay? Fear of failure, I can't do this. And after they failed once, twice, three times, four times, five times, they get the impression that I can't beat this, okay? 
What did Paul say when he had, we read about Paul saying this exact same thing. What, what am I going to do? The thing that I don't want to do, I do. Anybody read that in the Bible? <laughs> what does he say? What, what? Grace, thank you for the grace of God. Okay, that's the message that we have to tell people who are relapsing and relapsing and relapsing. Your third approach is more uh, there's a community-based. Right, it's outpatient. It's out, it, we support them, okay? We get them into uh, suboxone therapy right away, and, and then we get them into uh, community uh, uh, counseling sessions, which, are, uh, which I think professional counseling is, uh, there's no studies that show professional counseling changes it, unfortunately. It has more to do with accountability, and that accountability can be done by virtually anybody anybody who cares and uh, just one one last question. yeah yeah sure ask all you want uh, are all methadone clinics created equal what, methadone is methadone okay right. it, 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 it's uh, th these are all methadone clinics okay first off I'm with suboxone that's a different one that's buprenorphine that's an outpatient uh, methadone is uh, the, the, the requirement of meth it's a pure what we call a pure agonist means there's a great deal of potential for abuse uh, it used to be, we used to give it in pills, and unfortunately, you gave the patient the pill, they stuck it in their cheek, they walked out the door, pulled it out of their cheek, and sold it. Okay, okay, so now we do, now we do liquids, and you're standing at the, at the window, you drink it, open your mouth, you say something, so, you know, we're able to tell that you've taken it. These are all federally supervised clinics. They're very difficult. Bulletproof glass, I mean, you know, you know, the, the safes, DEA, the whole nine yards. It's a, a very difficult. Plus, then if you concentrate in certain areas, then all the neighbors don't want the, the patients there. It's, uh, even Governor, uh, Governor, even Mayor Pugh wrote an editorial for the Baltimore Sun, not in my backyard. You know, she didn't want anybody like that in her backyard, my gosh. Okay, so, and, and Suboxone is something we actually can do via telemedicine. We can actually talk to you on, the, on, the, on a, uh, like a Skype screen, assess where you are, call in your scripts, you can go pick it up. That's the difference. Yes, sir. know it's filled with suboxone and heroin and this use is going on around what do you do so so how do you go and initiate um, some type of yeah how, how do you interact with them right. to try to help I, them I know exactly them? what you're saying yeah. okay so if a patient uh, it, it, I, and I'll refer to people as patients um, um, patient client friend brother uh, wants to uh, start the road toward uh, health and, and, and being clean, comes to you and says, I want to get off this. Okay, that's great. We'll get them started on Suboxone, and we may, st we, and we may test them the next week, two weeks, three, four weeks. We may find they're still using on top of that. Not uncommon. Okay, not uncommon. I do not kick them out of my practice for that. I talk to them. You know, let's get serious about this. Let's keep working at it. And we finally, over a period of time, uh, you know, we start to see improvement. Yes, sir. Okay, maybe I was at dinner. Are, are you the addict, or are you the uh, some person who's helping? Oh, gotcha. 
Gotcha. You need to find a physician, uh, uh, find a physician, nurse practitioner, somebody who has what's called an X waiver on their DEA license, and they actually can start to see those patients and write those prescriptions. You have to have a very special prescription. It's not hard to get, takes eight hours of additional training, but it's a different DEA because of its nature. But once you have that, then a person who has, uh, uh, who wants to get on Suboxone can go to that person as a provider, get those prescriptions, and that's what we do. That's what Raymar Clinic, Rapid Access Medically Assisted Recovery. That's what, and I'm not promoting a clinic, I'm just simply saying that's what we do, okay? But one of the things we do is we try to partner with communities and psychologists and counselors and such who are gonna wrap their arms around the patient because, because, Counseling, for the most part, is you come in one day a week or one day a month or whatever and sit down on the couch and talk to me for 30 minutes. How good is that? Okay? And, uh, not very good. It works for some folks, but most folks it doesn't. We need to be, you, uh, the person who is in recovery needs to have somebody with them and touching them, talking to them all day, every day. Okay? That's why telemedicine for us is, so, is, is one of those opportunities. to. And, and that's why you, as friends and brothers and trustees, what we call trustees, somebody who's going to actually, you know, be involved in their life and, and, and monitoring their life, that's why that's so important. Yes, sir. Um, my question was similar, um, and, and I think as, as helpers, is there, is there a clear, like if we're, we're also near a methadone clinic, and um, I, I, one, one question I'd love for you to ask, answer before you answer my real question is, do you know the numbers methadone to Suboxone? And uh, so my number of patients. Yeah, like it seems like most people are on methadone, right? Versus Suboxone, or is that changing? Or? It depends on where you're at. Okay, yeah. the access to Suboxone is not great, um, and that, those are again those are sociological questions because family practitioners uh, got X waivers thinking that they're going to have uh, uh, Suboxone patients, and then suddenly they got real addicted patients showing up in their offices, and they said, oh, I don't want these people here. And, uh, and so they shut down their Suboxone practices. And so uh, you'll have a lot of people, there are, there are lots of folks in Maryland who have X waivers. Most of them are not, are not prescribing. Okay, and, and kind of like his question, as someone helping, discipling, uh, I, I know I'm a pastor, a leader at a church, we're walking with people that have addictions. Um, how, how engaged should we get in with potentially like their methadone, suboxone um, counselors and things like that, or do we just kind of talk to them about it? Some of them are tapering off, tapering down, different things. Do we encourage them to, to, to move quickly? Or I don't know, there's just a lot of stuff in, in all of that. But how, I think that may have been kind of your question. That's a very, very, how do we, how that's do we, a very, very, how do we relate to these programs yeah. that, that we, we're, we're trying to learn more about? Yeah, uh, that, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because one of the problems we have is well-meaning people pressing people to get off the, the uh, assisted treatment, Suboxone, okay? You get somebody who comes in and they, they, they go from 24 milligrams to 20 to 18 to 10 to 12, and it's because somebody's saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And their brain, they're going, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can. Okay, and they finally talk them down and they quit and next week they're back. Okay, so you got to be really, it, it, I tell my patients, okay, I'm here for you. If, it, if you have to take Suboxone the rest of your life, I am not going to criticize you. I don't criticize my diabetics for taking insulin. Okay, I'm, 
if you want to, I will walk with you every step of the way and I will help you do that. But I am not going to press you with some sort of a guilt trip to say that you're not fully walking with the Lord. You don't have faith unless you're doing this. Do not do that. Do not do that. Okay? Let the patient lead. Okay? And, they're, and when they're ready to do that, they will, they will do it. Walk with them. Don't prod them. Don't goad them. Yeah. Uh, two questions. Does someone going on Suboxone need to go through like a detox? No. No, actually, we, 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 uh, uh, we treat them within, uh, we let them start into withdrawal, and it, it's, it's called a clinical uh, uh, opiate score, CALS score. And uh, when they get to a certain point, we, we come in with a Suboxone, their symptoms go away, they go, I feel great. Well, that's great because you're going to come back tomorrow and we're going to get you started on this and, and you, won't, you won't ever go through uh, uh, withdrawal like that. And would you have any like, local resources of the physicians that can do this that we could just have at our hands uh, when we need it? I don't have them here because I'm from Annapolis, Anne Arundel County. I could do an Anne Arundel County, but I'm not familiar with the ones in Baltimore. Uh, but I, I think that you probably could look them up uh, pretty easily, okay? Uh, if not, then I think the, maybe the county health department, if you were to call up the county health department and say, who are the physicians in my area who are uh, writing for uh, outpatient, who are doing outpatient suboxone treatment, they, they'd be able to tell you. Yes, ma'am. Maybe this was inferred, but does fully clean mean that patients then can have the um, natural dopamine surge, like you said, when yeah. patients get good question. addicted. That's a good question. Part of, part of healing, okay, and this is part of counseling and, and the thing that we, that we do as, uh, uh, as brothers and sisters as we surround folks like this is to build back that, uh, that feeling, that contentment that comes with, with the good things in life. Have you ever awakened let me just share with you. I have awakened in the middle of the night and have looked around at my life and have been so thankful that I can't sleep. Now that's one heck of a dopamine surge. Okay? And I'm telling you that we need to build those back. We can. And you'll see that frontal lobe start to function more as, as they start to get, get uh, you know, you're doing a great job. I love you. You're forgiven. You know? What do you think you're feeling in the middle of a, a really great worship service? <laughs> you're feeling a dopamine surge. That dopamine surge comes from knowing that God loves me. He forgave me. It's real. It's physical. So yes, the answer is yes, you can build that back. In fact, that, that is one of the functions of the body. The body helps heal individual members of the body. Make sense? Say again. With, with a suboxone? Uh, that, that is a great question. Uh, and I can't, I, I, will, I will not 
BSU, sorry. Um, I'm not sure. I know that it's critical that we create space for people uh, as, you, as you diminish the suboxone, then the other can, can come back. But yes, you can see full, complete, uh, if, if you will, renaturalization of, of, the, of the mental process. You can. Yes, sir. I ha well, mm, it's a good question. I can't give you uh, specific numbers. I can tell you I have patients that are in their 70s and I have patients who are 16, 17. Yeah, but like the of the generation Depends on where you're at. Depends on where you're at. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, uh, um, Turning Point Clinic, I, we did, you can't get methadone until you're 18 years old. So you don't see anybody below 18 at uh, methadone clinics. Um, on the other hand, you can use uh, buprenorphine, suboxone for teens. And I, 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 no, no, I know exactly what you're saying. How long, how long will somebody need to be on a, on a medically assisted recovery? As long as they need it. As long as they need it. I, you may compare it to, to welfare. I compare it to insulin. Okay. Same thing? Uh, I, I, maybe I... I no. Oh, are, are you talking about, are we going to rid society of this? I know. The answer is no, we're not. It's like poverty. We're not going to rid society of poverty either. Yeah. We're not going to rid society of stupidity either. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Um, so at a nonprofit that I worked at, we had some people come by and talk to us about Narcan. Right. Um, and that was a big thing in Baltimore. You may see a lot of people nodding off or passing out. Right. Um, so can you explain a little bit about Narcan, the use okay. of it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've used Narcan uh, ever since I've been in emergency medicine since the uh, late 70s. Okay. Narcan is an antagonist. It, it, it actually goes in and occupies the receptor sites uh, on the brain so that the narcotic has no effect. It's amazing. You can, you know, somebody can be near death and you can shoot them with Narcan and they suddenly wake up and, and uh, it's like nothing happened, okay? Um, with fentanyl, and we need to talk a little bit about fentanyl and carfentanyl, okay? Fentanyl, let me back up just a tad. They, you know, it used to be that they, they smuggled in marijuana by the bales. Okay. Then they smuggled in cocaine by the by the bag full. Okay. And now fentanyl you can get through the U.S. Postal Service from China in an envelope. Okay. And that's where it's mostly coming from, in fact, except for the big dealers. Okay. So it's really easy to get this stuff in. And um, and so what it actually does is that Narcan. We used to have to shoot it in your veins or shoot it. In, uh, you know, give it as a shot. Now it's a nasal spray. And in fact, Narcan is one of the drugs that's actually in Suboxone. It 
prevents you from misusing it. Okay, you get to a certain level and it stops. Okay, so if you know people that are using, I would recommend you going down to the drugstore and getting, Subac or, uh, getting uh, Narcan. It's a nasal spray. Uh, you just, if, if there's a question, you can't hurt anybody, give them, I mean, you know, a nasal spray, just shoot it in their nose, they'll wake up, uh, okay, it may save their life. Uh, th there's a lot of stuff about training for it, and I'm not diminishing all that, but the truth is, you squirt it in their nose, okay? How much training do you need to have to squirt something in somebody's nose? You know? Oh, oh, we'll, you'll need to call EMS anyway. Oh, don't, don't misunderstand. Don't use Narcan and go, oh, you're fine. B because, because it may be a long acting that they may be fine, walk away from you and collapse. Okay, we've had that in the ER. One of the problems with Narcan in the ER, and I had it happen to me, where a patient came in, overdosed, I gave him the Narcan, we corrected him, okay? And what did that dude do? He walked out of the ER and died later that night. Okay? Nothing I could do about it. I couldn't hold him against his will. Okay? So your point is absolutely uh, the truth. If you, if you have to treat a patient with Narcan, don't just assume you fixed them. Okay? You, you temporized them. So you get them, into, you get them into the ER, call EMS, you know, and get them into, into treatment. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes, sir. Ma'am. Yeah. Um, I have a question in terms of going on Suboxone or some other medically assisted treatment versus going into residence. Like okay. Residential, would you recommend that someone start that if they're going into a residential program? You know, I, I'm hesitant to, to criticize residential treatment. You know, I don't want to do that. If you've got the money to do it and you've got insurance to cover it and all that kind of stuff, but I think that eventually you're going to have to go back to your, your, uh, where you were when you started. And I think if you don't have support there, then the chances of failure are fairly high. The numbers, numbers support that. And I guess, and then there may be a second and third. So in terms of like interruption, like so if you're in a neighborhood, so like we meet across from this sure. park where people use. And so I do like, so one of the people there is supposed to go to residential, but is hanging out in the park right. until she goes. And it's just like, this park doesn't seem like a good place for you. <laughs> and so yeah, how, you do think? You, how do you interrupt that? Like if that's someone's safe place where they have like community and refuge, how do you interrupt how, that? How do you interrupt somebody who's-, who's Like associating their, Using Make place. friend with them, I guess. You know, yeah. you you get to you talk to them. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, be careful uh, because interrupting somebody who's uh, uh, in, in a drug uh, neighborhood is a good way to get a bullet in your head. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to be careful. So related to that, do you think that it's better for a provider to come to like a location like that and say, "Hey, we have this medically assisted treatment," or is it? Is it necessary for a user to go to the treatment location? Oh, no. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, I think that there's a variety of, I think friends and neighbors, when we get referrals to uh, Raymar, uh, when we get referrals, it's from families, friends, uh, it, uh, it, who are doing, uh, uh, you know, what do you call it, uh, interdiction, what is it? Uh, intervention. I was going to say interdiction. That's not right. Intervention, you know, where, where you come in and you say, you, you really need to, to, to see treatment. And that's friends and family and relatives coming in and, and confronting them, and maybe this is the first time they realize they really need to have treatment or that they can. 
And so are they bringing the individual to the provider? It could be, uh, they can bring the individual okay. provider or, 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 well, the provider's not gonna go to the park. Okay. Okay, you call okay. me up, I'm not going to the park. Okay. Okay, sorry. If you were to dream big, <laughs> I dream big all I'm the time. I'm sure for church involvement and helping to create a bridge for healing. What, what, how would you commission the church um, to get involved? I, I, I would ask you, you know, I'm doing this all the time. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've asked churches to do this. Uh, give me a space in your church that I can see patients. I don't, have to, I don't have to have a whole, a whole bunch of hours per day, uh, just a few hours, uh, you know, let me see patients, and they will be coming to your location, and then you can wrap your arms around them. You can, you can have professional counselors there if you need to have uh, a counseling center, okay? But more importantly, you have a congregation of people who are there to help them. Um, and you'd be shocked, but I get a lot of pushback in churches who don't, not in my backyard. I don't want those folks. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but that's that's really true. All right, we have time for one more question. And that goes to the gentleman over here. So, um, so I live on a pretty, uh, pretty heavy traffic drug corner, um, and there's a lot of um, a lot of dealing, uh, a lot of junkies, uh, addicts, junkies, whatever. All right, but. Um, they, um, um, I know you said friends, family, relatives are the ones who usually come anybody around anybody who cares for that individual. So, a stranger to come to another stranger. I mean, would you like? How does that? How do you start from square one? Like with uh, someone who's dealing in, in total like homelessness, addiction. Like hi, hi, I'm Mark. What's your name? What's going on? What's your story? You got to get to know people. Yeah, and sometimes they won't have anything to do with you. I mean, they're in their own world. They're maybe they're yeah. in a fog. Uh, maybe they're you know. Uh, um, but you'd be surprised. You know, <laughs> this is when God gives you the words and, yeah. and um, Holy Spirit. Yeah, and the, a lot of things I don't know if we talk about in this is the like the de the dealers the. Uh, equally as issue would you right address dealers is this that not something we should be dealing with as a church do we just only address the one of the reasons why I, I said something earlier that I want to reemphasize and that is many users resort to dealing to support their habit that's why incarceration is ineffective and is wrong for a, a, va a good number of dealers, okay? I'm, I'm just telling you, my, my guys that I know say you can get more drugs in the joint than you can on the street, and it's easier, okay? You, you, you go partially addicted, and you go to the joint, and you come out fully addicted, and you're fully hooked in to everybody else who's selling drugs. It's like, it's like Drug Use Academy. Network. It's networking. So you so and not calling the police on the dealers because they'll get the, locked up. Number one, the police are probably not going to. Uh, I, the, we are moving as a society. Uh, from being a politician's perspective, okay, I will tell you, we are moving as a society to decriminalize or 
de-felonyize uh, a lot of these. I, I, I know Wes Adams, uh, I, I mean, I don't know the guys up here, okay? I know Wes Adams, uh, uh, the uh, state's attorney in Anne Arundel County. He works hard not to uh, uh, put uh, users, even low-level dealers, into uh, incarceration because it does not work and because they are victims as much as the people are selling to. So I, it, it, uh, th there are people who are coming and making gazillions of dollars floating this stuff in from, from wherever, and those people need to be put away, okay? Most of them don't use, by the way. Most of them don't use. Right. Right. It's a dangerous job, uh, and I'm not gonna not gonna lie to you. It's a dangerous job. I, I will say from experience that robbing and selling drugs don't, doesn't make for the best business. So while it is a fear, I wouldn't be worried about it too much. It's a bad business for people to rob and sell drugs looking over their shoulders all the time. All right, that was the last question. We have one pressing comment, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Hi, um, Dr. Plaster. My name is Lynn. I'm an RN. Hi, Lynn. Hi, and I just want to say I'm so blessed to be here. I appreciate your, the, what you, everything that you shared. Um, I had a, my mom was an awesome mother, and she struggled with addiction. And a lot of the things that you're talking about, it does start off in the beginning as a choice, so that's the sin thing, like, you know, you get warnings as kids, don't drink, don't do yeah. drugs. Yeah. But then something happens when you make that bad choice and it becomes like a disease process right. because it changes the way your brain, your chemistry. And back in that day, it wasn't a lot taught about that. Now you learn that. Even new nurses are learning that. So I just wanted to say the whole thing about wrapping around the compassion um, and trying to redirect them and giving them when they get that space, like for example, with the the medication that you were mentioning, I can't. Suboxone. It's not Anabuse, the other one. You're right. That's a brand name. It's buprenorphine. It's but yeah. <laughs> That's People awesome. People can't and say buprenorphine. Yes. <laughs> so thank you for that. I think that's a really important message. And if it's anyone who's interested in Narcon, I can give you resources where you can get it for free. Oh, great. Um, and it's very simple. It was um, short, it even it was short supplied for a while, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's uh, increasing. Yes. Okay. okay. So thank you again. Oh, you're welcome.